You reign. You rule. We thank you that you are high and lifted up, exalted on the praises of your people. And we see your humility taking on flesh, being born of a woman, entering as a little child. And we're reminded this morning of children. You said, unless we are as one of these children, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Teach us to be like these little ones, dependent, expectant, joyful, not worried about much, only what must be done. Help us to be like one of these, just as you were like one of these. So humble to come down from your throne in order to save us. Jesus, you are worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. Thank you for receiving it. And now, work through your Holy Spirit in our hearts as we begin to hear your word from Pastor Blake. Help him to speak boldly, without fear of what we think. And help us to have ears to hear. And then not to be hearers only of the word, but doers of the word. So enable us to obey what we hear from your word. So we thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. And it's in your mighty and humble name that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Good morning once again, everybody. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. If you would do me a wonderful favor and grab a copy of God's Word, whether digital or analog, and find your way to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you have a uh, regular paper Bible, make that lovely sound of pages turning. It's really pretty. Go ahead. So we've been in a series, Songs of the Savior, talking through the different aspects of Advent. We've talked about Joseph and Mary and Elizabeth. We've talked about wise men. And today, we're talking about the story of Advent that a lot of us think of almost very prominently, probably right after the nativity of Mary, Joseph, Jesus, we think of then the shepherds and the angels. And that's where we're going to be. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be starting now. If you'll join with me, we're going to start reading in verse, excuse me, in verse 7. 
It says she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now we're going to get to verse 8. So that's what's just took place. Christ has just been born. More on that next week. If you, you know, haven't heard, spoiler alert, next week we're talking about, you know, Jesus and the birth and Christmas Eve. So verse 8, the night, that night, excuse me, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, we have English translations of the Bible. New Testament was originally in Greek, and um, for the most part, the English translations that we have are really good, but sometimes English as a language just doesn't quite convey things the best. Um, for example, in, in uh, the Greek here where it says they were terrified, the word there is literally, it's, it's, uh, it's a word we get uh, phobias from, and it basically means that you are terrified to the point that you're just going to run away in fear. Like, you're so freaked out, you just have to be put to flight. And it uses the word twice. It says, they feared with a great fear. Literally. So they were so terrified to run that they had to run greatly fast. They were so terrified. Why? Because it's not pretty little angel on your Christmas tree. It's the glory of God displayed through his messenger erupts into the night sky. These Shepherds would have spent day after day after day hanging out in the fields, hanging out at night, hanging out with the sheep. Maybe if you're a little too tired to talk to the sheep. This would have been their life. They would have seen the stars. Everything was normal. This to them was a no different night. They had no idea. No one aside from Mary and Joseph had any idea what took place on that night. So to them, nothing special has happened. They're just watching the sheep and then poof, across the sky, dazzling, brilliant glory of God displayed from one of his messengers. So they were terrified. Why? Well, because that is honestly the right reaction when we see or encounter the glory of God. Whenever you look in scriptures and you see the people of the Old or New Testament and they come face to face with the glory of God, it's so radiant, so amazing that their response is not, oh, that's pretty cool. Hey, let me take a picture. No, it's not, your, it's not your, your meal on a date night, right? It, it's the glory of God. And it's not this cute little thing. Every one of them is like down on their face. Why? Because when you come into contact with the radiant glory of the God on high, you are suddenly so painfully aware of how much you fall short of the perfection the holy justice of God. And so the glory of God shines out as this angel appears and they are terrified. And then it says, excuse me, it says, uh, as you keep going on in the text, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. Must have worked because they didn't run. And he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I bring you good news. The word there is the word that we translate, that we talk about when we say gospel. 
It literally is the good news. Well, what is the good news? What is it? Because for these guys in a field, the good news is what? Romans are gone? What? There's like some new fancy thing where I can keep my sheep from running into a river? What's the good news? Because something that we also need to understand is at this point, the people of Israel, the people of God, had not heard from him in roughly 400 years. Now, why is that crazy? Why is that staggering? It's staggering because from the beginning of Adam and Eve, God walked with them in the garden. Even after their fall, God meets with them. And yes, there's the curse. But in the curse, there's a promise that a Messiah would come. One day there would be a child born through the lineage of Eve and Adam and all the way down. Eventually there would be a son who was born who would stomp out this, this Satan, this adversary, this curse, this sin, this evil. The Messiah would one day come. And from that point forward, you see all throughout Scripture pictures of the Messiah and prophecies of the Messiah and echoes and types and so many things foreshadowing. It drips from the pages of the Old Testament. Constantly throughout the people of Israel's history, there were judges and kings and prophets and priests and God spoke to his people. It was a normal thing. Was it a daily thing? Well, we don't get that indication from scripture, but it was a normal thing that God would do this and then they get exiled off out of their homeland because in their rebellion and their sin, constantly turning to sin, constantly refusing to run to Christ. God, the Father, at that point, they don't know who Christ is. They just know the promise of him. But constantly refusing to repent generation after generation after generation and they are carried off. And the line of kings is done. The promise that there would be a savior, an ultimate king, a basically new David. The greatest of the kings of Israel, David. There would be a one born from him. The line of kings has ended. And they are off into exile. And they come back after a few decades. And God talks to them a little bit. You have the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in that time frame. And then nothing. For roughly four Hundred years. Think about that. Being the people of God, where are the prophets? Where, where, are the, where are the messages from the Lord God? Have you abandoned us? Where's the promise of the king you said would come? Where's the promise of the David, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed Messiah? Where is he? No word has come and no word has come and no word has come in 400 years. And then in one night, angels sitting by, or not angels, shepherds sitting by, hanging out with their sheep, and then erupting forth on the sky is the angel from God declaring, hey, good news. If you'll look with me in your Bibles, uh, verse 11, what's the good news? The Savior, yes, the Messiah The word Messiah is an Old Testament Hebrew word that basically means the Christ. If you didn't know, the name Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means he's the chosen, anointed, appointed, the Holy One, set apart by God. The Lord has been born to you today in Bethlehem, the city of David. 
good news. For 400 years, they've been waiting for more and more. And God is like, nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, now! And, and the angels declare this. Well, at this time, one angel declares this to the shepherds. And any good Jew would have known what all these titles mean. All these titles, if you're following along, let's fill in the blanks. Here's the first one. I know it's really long. I'm sorry. But basically, the wait is over. The Messiah, Jesus, is the anointed Savior, the Lord, the promised King from David's line. He is the Lord. This title of Lord, this is something you give to God. He is the Lord. He is God to earth, the Savior who has come. The one that God has chosen. How amazing. How wondrous is this. All throughout the Bible, we see it foreshadowed and echoed and foreshadowed and echoed. You go back to the first promise in Genesis 3.15. You have the story of Noah where to be spared from the wrath of God for sin, you all had to come and enter in through this wooden boat, right through this one door, this one path, this one way to escape the destruction of the world because of the wrath of God over sin. One way in. And then you go on and the people scatter and God says, hey, you're not allowed to shed the blood of a human. Why? Because the life is in the blood. The life that God has given is in the blood telling us that the blood is something important. And one day life, blood of Christ would be shed. You see all throughout the scriptures. You see pictures of it with David, who is the king, who gathered the brokenhearted. You see it throughout the scriptures of prophecies, where in Micah 5, it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. All throughout the Bible. I know many of us skip over Leviticus when we get to it, but I'm telling you, if you ever take a deep study into that, you'll see he's all over the place in those pages too. That he's coming. He's coming. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? He's going to do what no one can do. He's going to come to be the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. He is coming to save the people of God. Now, the people of God, when we say this and you talk of Old Testament, almost always, almost exclusively, we think of the Jews. We think of the people of Israel, and rightly so. They are his special people. But did you know that even throughout the Old Testament, even throughout the Old Testament, God's like, no, no, I have more people than this. And he would bring people in and bring people in. That's what the story of Jonah really is focused on. It's beyond the Jews. It's the Syrians who really, they hate the Jews. They come and destroy them. And God saves a city of Israel's enemies. Why? Because they repent. All throughout scripture, we see the seeds of the gospel planted. We see the seeds of Christ and what would take place. And here he is, the savior of the world. Now for many of us, Christmas is a time where we get together with family, and rightly so. It's a time we remember fondly. It's a time where we think of when Uncle Jack tripped over the tree and took out the cat. It's a time where we think of all the crazy stories that took place, and rightly so. And too often, the story of Christ becomes nothing more than baby Jesus in a manger. 
God, forgive us. The heralding announcement that the Savior has come, the Lord, the one born from the city of David, the one that's been promised throughout Scripture, throughout the centuries, a millennium, that he's here. It's not baby Jesus in a manger. It's God come to earth in the most humble of ways. And the shepherds hear this declaration. I both would love and hate to be there in that moment. I would love it because how awesome would that be? But I'd hate it because how terrifying would that be? To sit there and before you, here is the announcement that the people of God have been waiting for and waiting for for millennia. He is the one that God has promised. It says in Ezekiel 34, 32, that I will set over them one shepherd, his people. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Well, obviously not David, David. He had been dead at this point for several hundred years. A new David. And he will feed them. And he will be a shepherd to them. In Micah 5, 2, oh, you Bethlehem. Such a small village among the people of Judah, but a ruler of Israel is coming from you. The people that heard this message would have known what is being said to them. And it's not the cliche that we think of when we hear Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus gets up there and he starts reciting the story. It's not the cliche words that we hear all the time. It's the meat-packed gospel thrown out in one sentence. And how amazing is this? And so as the text goes on, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me as the text goes on in verse 12, it says, you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. Probably one of the most recognizable verses in all of scripture. You might be more familiar with it in the King James. You might be more familiar with it in ESV. Same idea, regardless of your translation. And it always starts with glory to God in the highest. They give this proclamation to the angels that the one that you've been waiting for, he's here right now and you can go and you can find him. And what an amazing thing that is. And then as soon as the announcement is done, erupting in the sky is not one, but the whole host of angel armies flooding the heavens. And what do they declare? What do they cry out? Well, there's a thousand things that they could have said, and all of them would have been wonderful. God is loving, and how amazingly true that is. God gives mercy and grace new every day, and how true that is. But the first thing, in celebration of this announcement that is declared is glory to God 
glory to God in the highest. That phrase, glory to God, is said all the time by people. Right? It's what some people try to get fancy and say it in Latin. Some people say it in English. Some people, it's said all the time, glory to God. But do we understand what that is? The word glory, commonly used all the time in, in church, right? We sing songs about the glory of God. We preach about God gets glory and God is glorious. And, but what is it saying? What are we actually saying when we say glory to God? Well, when we say glory to God, that word glory really has this picture of immense weight and gravity and importance and majesty. It's the idea that we're saying, this God is so worthy, is so awesome, is so amazing that you can't help but want to worship him. It's the idea of this. Have you ever been in a room talking and then someone enters in and everything stops as you turn and everyone looks at this, per- this whoever this is and you may not know who they are but you know this guy's important because everyone is now like oh, and the conversation stops and we all wait as though the weight of the presence of this person enters it's like a small picture of what we're talking about when we say the weight of glory. There is a magnitude and an awe and a <gasps> when it comes to the glory of God, when it comes to who he is. And so often at Christmas time, we treat it so trivially. Oh, I know this story. I know about the shepherds. I know about the wise men and they weren't even there. And we treat these things so trivially sometimes. But the first thing declared across the heavens is glory to God. And truthfully, loved ones, if that is not our first response, when we look at the story of Christ, the Savior born, the God come to earth, and it does not fill us with glory to God, this is awesome, then truthfully, there's something wrong. We've let something go cold in our hearts. We've let something fall asleep in our soul. If when we hear the story of God come to earth, the Savior, the Christ who is born, and it does not make us inspired and filled with worship to glorify this God and King. And there's something inside that we need to deal with. Well, I've just heard the story so many times. Really? I'm sure you have a favorite movie or a book that you don't mind hearing one more time. And this is beyond any of that. Every family has the stories they share over and over and over again, right? You sit around the table and you talk about the time that dad burnt the dinner or mom like accidentally kicked a kid across the room. Hopefully not. But right, we have these stories that we talk about all the time. We don't get sick of them. We love the stories. And for some reason, the story of Christmas doesn't always get that same recognition. But it ought to be when we hear this story, glory to God. 
in the highest, to know who he is, to think of who he is. Why? Because did you know that this life is not about us? Christ coming to earth wasn't about you. All these things that people like to say to make us feel better, and it's not even true. The reason he came is for God's glory. He came to bring God the Father glory. That's why he walked the earth. It's why he saved us from our sin. It's why there is forgiveness and why there is grace and why there is love and why there is justice and why there is peace. Why all these things? One answer, that he would get the glory, that we would see how awesome he truly is, the weight of the presence of God. Well, that seems a little selfish. That seems, I mean, that's a little egotistical. Not when you're God. For me, yes. For God, no. Why? Because he spoke a universe into existence. He handcrafted you. And while he could have left you in your sin, left you to face the weight of the penalty of the wrath that is well-deserved for our sin and our rebellion. He humbled himself and stepped off his throne, came down to a manger, walked a life we couldn't, living a perfect life so that we could take the sin, or he could take the sin that we so willingly committed and he could put it on himself and pay for every one of them. So he made you and when you and your foolishness, when I and my stupidity ran off into our sin, some of us say, oh, I fell into sin again. No, you jumped. So did I. And when we and our foolishness pursue our sin, he still chose to die in our place, paying for our sin. Why? That we would be remade into the image of Christ for the glory of God. Well, I thought it's because he loved us. Does he love you? Absolutely, a thousand percent, absolutely he loves you. But do not be mistaken. His glory is first and foremost above all things. And when we lose sight of that, that's when our Christianity turns from worshiping God into idolatry. It's glory to God, first thing they speak. It says in Isaiah chapter 48, as God is speaking to his people, he talks about, hey, I'm going to bring it back. Like, yeah, there's going to be all this chaos. I'm going to bring all this discipline, but I'm going to bring it back. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, he says this, why? For my sake alone, I will act. Why? Because how can I let my name, God speaking, how can I let my name be defiled? I will not share my glory with anyone else. His glory is his and his alone. And for us to forget that, we will easily wander into idolatry. And as it goes on, so glory to God. And the next thing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. Now that word peace, oftentimes when we talk about peace and the peace of God, we talk about the, this calm, right? This, this sense of assurance that God is in control and he's got it. And irregardless of the chaos, God's got it. And that is good. And that is an amazing blessing of knowing and walking with Christ. But the word here actually carries more of a connotation of like a ceasefire. 
of when enemies cease to war. Peace on earth. It's not just talking about that calm and that assurance that God's in control. It's also talking about the fact that, hey, what is the peace that God brings? You were his enemy without Jesus. Romans 5.10 tells us that we are the enemy of God when we are in our sin. You're not born a son of God. You're not born a daughter of God. You're not a child of God inherently. According to John 8, you are born a child of Satan. Why? Because you're born dead in your sin. Because we are born with sin. We are sinners by nature, born into it. And then we repeatedly, intentionally choose our sin over and over and over. So we're born into our sin. We constantly choose our sin. We're not born children of God. We are born as enemy. But that is one of the amazing miracles of the birth of Christ. As though we were his enemy. Though we were on opposite sides, opposite armies. Warring a fight that we'll never win. He chose anyway to come to this earth and give us a chance to have peace, to give us an option. People are like, well, God is just so exclusive. Christians are so exclusive. You say there's only one way. Be glad there's any way. He didn't have to give you anything. When you're a winning army and you're a winning general, you do not have to allow the other side to cease fire. You don't have to allow them to surrender. You can just take them out. And as Christians... Our gratitude is that there is any way at all that though we are his enemy, there can be peace with God. Though we were at war with God, though this spiritual battle existed and raged, that he himself would come to pay the price so that we could go from enemy to friend, that we could go from rebel to child of God. Glory to God in the highest. Why? Christ's birth brings God's glory, declares his glory. Christ's birth brings peace with God. It is only by the birth of Christ, the life he lived, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, his resurrection, this story of the gospels. Without that, there is no peace. Without that, there is no hope. comes to bring God glory. He comes to bring God peace. It says in Romans 5.1, therefore, Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later on in the same chapter in Romans 5.10, it says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Though we were his enemies, there was a peace, there was a life that is granted. Why? Because the father in heaven gave his son to an earth that did not deserve him and for the most part did not want him, but still came anyway. That there would be a light upon the earth. That those who would turn to him would do so. It says this in Ezekiel 
18, Ezekiel 18, verse 23, do you think, God speaking, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the sovereign Lord, of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. The same book, Ezekiel 33, just later on in verse 11, it says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. God takes no delight in the death of a sinner, in the death of the wicked, but takes tremendous delight and tremendous joy in the repentance of a sinner, in the changing, the conversion of an enemy to his child. So, Glory to God in the highest, why he brings peace on the earth. And then the next part of the passage, peace on the earth to those with whom God is pleased. Because when we come to Christ, when we surrender that pride that says, I can do it on my own, I don't need God, foolishness. And when we surrender that pride, there is such delight and joy How do you please God? How can you please God? According to Hebrews, you cannot please God unless you have faith in God. It is impossible for us to please him unless we have faith in him and who he is. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 4, 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. What? What pleases God? Well, he wants this God who takes delight in you, who takes joy in the salvation of his children. Christ who comes to earth, the God who came and lived and died and rose again as a man, God, fully God, fully man. Wrap your mind around that if you can, probably won't. But to think of this amazing thing, Fully God, fully man, come to earth, lived his life, died, rose again. Why? That God would be glorified. That you would have peace with God. And ultimately that God would be delighted. That God would have the joy of knowing his children. Why? What is his delight? It's the delight with whom he, we, those with whom he is pleased. Who is that? Well, if you are a child of God, it's you. It's you. Think about when you were a small child and how you wanted nothing more than for mom and dad to look at you and say, oh, good job. Right? If it, has anyone ever seen The Music Man or know of it? Basically, this whole, long story short, um, we won't go through the whole thing, but there's this whole uh, program concert, not too dissimilar to what we had. And it does not go well. But all the parents are like, oh, it was amazing. Why? Because they're encouraging and loving. They see their kid and there's just such joy and delight in the kids. And what do kids long for? They long for that kind of response for their parents. Our Father in heaven gives that delight, that joy over us. Those with whom he is pleased, who is he pleased with? He is pleased with his kids who follow after him. Those who have turned from their sin, running towards God. Did you realize 
that your life brings the light to the heart of God? When Christ is in your life, when we are surrendered to him, when we, your life brings the light to God. What an amazing thing that is. People often talk about uh, in prayers about how they want to bless God. God, let this bless you. Let this bless you. Let this bless. How do you bless God? God gives everything. God provides. How do we bless God? What can we possibly do to give back to God that is blessing Him? The one thing that is not automatically His is your affection, your heart. He made you, but he has given you the freedom to pursue your idols. The one thing that is not automatically his is your heart. And when that is given to him, the blessing, the delight that he has in that. Christ come to earth is glory to God in the highest peace with God. Love it. Peace for those to those with whom God is pleased. And as the story continues on in verse 15, it says, and the angels, when the angels had, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, we don't know how long that was. If I was one of those, angel, one of those shepherds, it'd be like, angels gone. I'd probably just be like, Right? Like, I, I don't know how long I'd just be sitting there and all, but the angels leave. They declare this wonderful news and they leave. And the shepherds, their response is like, we got to go and see what they're talking about. Let's go. And they run to Bethlehem. I love it. Verse 16, they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Why? Because these shepherds knew. They knew that this child changes everything. Any first-time parent knows that your relationship pre-child and after-child is very different. Your life pre-child and post-child, very different. My wife and I, before we had a kid, we'd stay up till, till midnight. We'd talk, we'd watch a movie, it's 10 o'clock, throw it on. Now it's 7 o'clock. You want to start a movie now? Why? Because a child changes everything. But this child specifically didn't just interrupt and change the lives of his parents, but changed everything for everyone who has, is, or will walk this earth. This child changes everything. So they ran and they saw exactly what the angel said. They're like, that's him. That's the guy. And what was their response? To tell everyone, right? There's no such thing as my private faith. One of the greatest lies to ever be spawned out of Satan's mouth is the idea that there is such a thing as your private faith. If you have a private faith, then I don't think you have faith. Well, that's a bold statement. I understand that. 
but go with me. If you believe that your sin condemns you to hell, and you believe that God in his glory and in his mercy sent us a way of salvation, and anyone who walks that path, anyone who surrenders by faith to Christ is saved, sins forgiven, eternity secure to heaven forever, amazing. And anyone who does not is destined for an eternity where they will face the fullness of the wrath of God unleashed, undiluted, forever, poured out, never to cease. If you believe that that is true, how could you possibly keep that private? How much must you hate humanity to not want those in your life to know the salvation that was brought, that was declared on this night, to know the message that the angels declared, that there's a glorious God above who gives peace between us and God and that we would bring the light to God, how much must we hate the world around us? No, I'm just going to keep that to myself. That's a me thing. What? There's no such thing as a private faith, which is why the shepherds, after seeing him, verse 17, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And what the angel had said to them about this child. Which is that last thing, if you're doing the fill in the blanks, that, well, what is the response? What then should we do with all this? Well, tell everyone. Everyone. Not everyone that shepherds told believed them. Not everyone the shepherds told uh, was immediately like, oh, yay, celebrate. I'm sure a few of them are like, oh, what was in that stew you guys had last night? Not everyone we share Christ with is going to, oh, I want it. But it's our job to share it with those who would hear it. Why? Because glory to God in the highest. There is peace on the earth for those with whom God is pleased, those with whom God takes delight. How could we want to not share that. Now, I understand that there's fears, right? But but what if I don't know the right thing to say? What if I, what, uh, uh. Y'all talk about your favorite sports teams often enough. Y'all talk about politics that you can't even begin to understand often enough. You're not worried about talking out of nothing and a lot of different topics. But suddenly when we have the entirety of the word of God in front of us that we can study and know and dive into, suddenly it's like, oh, I don't have enough information on that topic. Everything you could possibly need to know is right in your hands when you hold the word of God. You don't know enough, that's fine. What do you know? What do you, you know who Christ is? You know what he's done? You know what he's done in your life. And guess what? That's all you need to know to start telling people about him. And then as you dive into this book and as you search its pages and as you memorize and meditate and start to live your life by what it says, then guess what? You're going to know more and you can share more. But you start with this. I was a sinner lost in my sin. But God came to earth gave me a way of salvation 
and he took the penalty for my sin and I am so grateful and he offered me the salvation and I took it and my life, I'm not perfect, but I'm not the same. That's all you need to start. Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church, he tells them that I've determined to know nothing among you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do You guys know the story of Christ. Do you know that he came to earth, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, paid for your sin, rose again. And now if you accept him by faith, you too will live for eternity. Okay. Now you know enough. So if you didn't before you do now, and you want to know more, I have a great book I'd recommend. If you want help with that book, I know a few people would love to talk with you about that. Tell everybody as this text goes on. Verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. It was just as the angels had told them. First thing, they, tell, they go and they check it out for themselves. Second thing, they go and tell everybody. Third thing, they just praise God. They just praise and glorify God. So what should we do? I suggest we take that as a model. First thing, check it out yourself. If you haven't been to Christ's altar, and I'm not talking about some thing in the back or front of a church, I'm talking about you go before Jesus, you talk with him. If you haven't met with him, oh, please do. And if you don't know how to do that, you're not sure what that means, talk with anyone else around you here. We would love to share that with you. First thing, go and check it out for yourself. Taste and see the Lord is good for yourself. Then tell everyone and spend your life worshiping, praising, and glorifying the God who came to earth. That we would know his glory, that we would have his peace, and that we could bring him joy and delight. Please pray with me. Jesus, there is so much that we can praise you for so much that we can give thanks for. And God, right now, what is first and foremost on my mind is this miracle of salvation that comes be only because you and your mercy chose to allow it to be here. You came, you came to this earth and was, you were committed to this life. You could have left us in our sin. You could have left us to fend for ourselves. You would have been just to do so. But instead, you chose to come to earth and give us hope and salvation through you. So God, I pray that if there's any here who don't know you, God, pierce through the wall of their heart that they would see and glimpse you for a first time. Those whose hearts have grown cold, open us that we would see you afresh and be renewed in our zeal for you. Because God, my prayer for each person in this room, including myself, is that we would look at you and what you've done with nothing less than the utmost awe and gratitude. 
we give you glory because it's yours anyway. It's all yours. So we give it to you. We thank you for the peace you give to us. And God, we ask you help us to live a life that would bring you joy and delight your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, let's stand and respond in worship.